You're listening to Co-op Radio CFRO 100.5 FM on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations. You're listening to The Self-Advocate and me, your host, Alison Klein. On this episode, we're talking with Stefan Horsch and Natalia Essling and about the Music and Meditation and Disability Conference, which is at November 21st and 22nd. But before that, you can find me on Facebook or on Twitter. My Facebook handle is Allison Mira Klein, and my Twitter handle is Allison Mira. So to kick off the show, Let's go into our opening theme song, Possibilities by Key Sarah. I'm born in classes the other day. I don't know where to turn. This piece of junk I thought was art looks like the mummy's curse. My teacher smiled to his side, picked up his project, looked in his eyes. Don't you give up yet
The song you just heard is Possibilities by Key Sarah. Key Sarah is a mother-daughter duo from Ontario, and the daughter who is singing is on the autism spectrum. You're listening to CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. I'm your host, Alison Klein, and on this episode, we're going to talk about music, disability, and BIPOC issues, because there is an online conference about these issues. And I have today Stefan Horish and Natalia Estling. Thank you so much, you guys, for being on my show Thank you, Allison. Yeah, thank you for having us. So to get off, both of you are postdoctoral candidates at UBC, the University of British Columbia, in the theater and film department, looking at disability and music. What interested you guys about combining both disability and music? Uh, thanks very much for the question. So. Um, my postdoctoral research uh, is at the intersection of disability studies and music, and I'm focusing on Helen Keller um, and her writings about music and her interactions with a number of musicians uh, and performing arts organizations throughout her life. Um, and I'm asking questions about how her musical life might link with broader questions of um, access and inclusion um, for deafblind people during um, Helen Keller's own time, but then also uh, more broadly um, into the present, um, what her legacy, um, and it's a complicated and contested legacy in a host of ways, might uh, teach us um, in the present. Um, as far as how I first became aware of uh, disability studies and music, that's thanks to my sister, actually, who sent me an article back in, I think it was 2007. Um, and this was one of the uh, initial forays into uh, disability studies um, from um, a music studies perspective. Uh, and I... Um, right away sense uh, ways of uh, making sense of my own lived experiences as a disabled musician. Um, and so since then I've gone on to complete my um, a, a graduate work and um, uh, including my PhD um, at UBC and it's wonderful to be back um, at UBC uh, for my postdoctoral research. How about for yourself, Natalia? Thanks, Allison. Um, so I come at this a little bit differently. Uh, I'm a postdoc fellow in theater and film focusing on uh, sensory experience and performance. So I uh, don't actually have a background in music per se, um, but what interested me about the intersection of music and disability does relate to what I'm working on. Um, so my project involves uh, survivors of traumatic brain injury. 
with whom I'm working to create an audio immersive performance experience about their journeys, uh, ideally to share with healthcare students at UBC. So what is interesting to me is thinking through how sound, sensory experience and pre-COVID touch <laughs> could work in different mediating ways and non-linear ways to tell stories of something like traumatic brain injury in unconventional ways. So I'm particularly fascinated in thinking through mediation and representation and, and how sound auditory performance, auditory experience um, and other perceptual experiences related to sound like touch, um, sound hearing is touch, um, how that uh, can offer us a, a different mode of, uh, of speaking to each other and communicating with each other um, about, about different experiences and diverse experiences. That's interesting. In interesting you talk about that, Natalia, because of course I've been seeing about how the blind community sees, in quotation marks, about dance. And I went to one of the vocal eye performances where they did dance and they touched on on the back. That's pre-COVID. And it was a different sensory experience as well. And I didn't think of touch with hearing as well. Yeah, that, uh, that performance uh, was done by All Bodies Dance Project. I went and, and witnessed it as well, experienced it as well. Um, it was really fascinating how they, uh, they use touch, like you say, on the back in a spatial format in order to kind of organize in a different perceptual way what you would be seeing um, in front of you, but those who weren't blind in the audience had eye masks, um, but those who were blind in the audience could experience dance in a really tactile, um, proximic way. So uh, uh, yeah, that's a really good example. It was a really beautiful performance. It was, it was a very beautiful performance. Now, Stefani, you were, you're looking at Helen Keller's work as a deaf blind person and music. Did she ever do tactile stuff with music as well or, um, and, and how, how, how did she do that? Right, um, thank you for the question. Um, so uh, I was struck by what you and Natalia were just talking about because uh, I think there are parallels there. Uh, with my own work as a postdoctoral fellow. Um, so Helen Keller made use of touch extensively in her own um, musical experiences. Um, so for example, uh, in interacting with the singer Enrico Caruso, I think this was in 1916. Um, and there are actually some newspaper accounts and also uh, I think both Caruso and Keller themselves wrote about the experience afterwards. Uh, he performed for her and it was a private performance. Uh, I think he may have been on tour and um, she visited him and he sang for her and she had her fingertips on his lips and on his vocal cords while he sang. 
um, and uh, he sang for her an, op uh, an excerpt from an opera uh, which tells the story of Samson and Delilah from, I guess, the Old Testament. Uh, and so in this excerpt, Samson um, uh, has become blind. And uh, in the excerpt in question, uh, he sings of his distress. And uh, I think both Keller and Caruso found this uh, interaction that they had through music and through uh, a tactile experience of, of music um, to be profoundly moving for both of them. Um, there are other uh, accounts that um, Helen Keller has left us um, of what it was like for her to experience um, radio performances through, through uh, vibrations. Uh, and through through placing her fingertips on the uh, speakers, um, I guess uh, of the uh, broadcasting apparatus um, or radio, um, and uh, there are other um, examples from Keller's life. Uh, in particular, uh, I'm thinking now of the ways in which um, touch and movement. Uh, become part of a larger um, aesthetic or, or musical um, experience. So when Helen Keller um, visited with the dancers in Martha Graham's dance studio in New York, uh, and there's, um, I think on the American Foundation for the Blind website, there are some, there's at least one clip of uh, Helen Keller and the dancers moving uh, with each other. Um, and uh, I'll stop there, but these are just some some examples um, of how Helen Keller made use of touch. And also, um, I will say, uh, she also made use of her own capacious imagination to write about music in a, a richly subjective way, um, and in a way that I think is worth attending to, because so often, um, I think that subjective experiences are sort of written off as lying outside the scope of um, uh, methods of systematic analysis um, and so forth. But I think um, Helen Keller's writings uh, display this wonderful sensitivity um, and subjective depth. And I think it's uh, fascinating to pay attention to that. I think that's fascinating. And to see Helen Keller, who is so famous as a deaf-blind person, you don't really hear about her musical life and her subjective dance life either. And as a person with a disability, I think I like to see that. I like to see more examples of that in historically and to look up to and say, yes, it can be done. On that note, let's go into our first ad for the Co-op Radio. Vancouver Cooperative Radio, CFRO, 100.5 FM. Homemade, not store-bought. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO, Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM. And me, your host, Alison Klein. You can find me on Facebook or on Instagram. My Facebook handle is Allison Mira Klein, and my Instagram handle is Allison Mira. On this episode, we're talking with 
Stefan Horish and Natalia Esling because there is an online conference talking about disability, meditation, and music. November 21st and 22nd, and both Stefan and Natalia are co-hosts or co-producers of this online event. How did you guys hear about this online conference and how did you guys get in, on board with this? Um, and Natalia, would you like to? Sure, I'll, I'll have to defer to Stefan because he actually was the one to generously invite me on board the project um, after I think uh, the original idea came about. I mean, I'll let you speak to that, but maybe you and another colleague had uh, come up with the original idea and I came on a little bit later. So I'll let Stefan explain the origins. Yeah, so um, just briefly, uh, building on, on what you, you said, Natalia, um, uh, there was some talk of, uh, or some planning rather, to uh, hold a symposium. Um, uh, this was pre, pre-pandemic, um, and so the um, original uh, discussions and planning centered on developing uh, a symposium about music and disability. And then uh, once, uh, I think, Natalia, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but once uh, you also uh, joined, we were thinking then sort of post-pandemic how to uh, make our this symposium responsive to uh, this this moment um, and the kinds of uh, changes in in academic life, uh, both in terms of research and teaching, that we could then sort of build into the planning for the symposium. Yeah, and if I recall correctly, Stefan, uh, when I came on board, I think yes, you're right. We had uh, there had already been thinking about how to. Uh, kind of shift the symposium to resonate with COVID times. And this resonated really well with what I was thinking through at the moment um, from a performance angle, having to shift my approach to research because we're uh, living in a time at the moment, hopefully not forever, where being in uh, proximity and touching other people is <laughs> not something we can um, easily do. So I was in the process of thinking about how mediation was operating within my own work within the storytelling performance practice, but also how mediation was transforming the way that we spoke with our communities and engaged with our communities. Um, Zoom was taking prominence and a lot of online forums were gaining speed and while these things existed pre-pandemic, I think they they really were amplified by the moment. And so in conversation uh, with, with Stefan and our collaborators, um, James Deville at the University of Carleton, uh, we had kind of extended the initial symposium from music and disability to performance and music and disability to kind of extend it a little bit more broadly into uh, the performing arts. Yeah, and also just to um, build on what Natalia was saying, um, this uh, is this uh, symposium is a multi-universe. Um, it's really grown into a, a multi-university 
initiative. And um, in that sense, the times that we're in and the platforms that we're using um, have in some way facilitated uh, collaboration across multiple institutions. So uh, James Carlton, James DeVille at Carlton University, Chantal Lemire at Western, Samantha Jones at Harvard, uh, Elsa Lipscomb at the University of Chicago, and of course, Natalia and I are both um, postdoc uh, researchers at the University of British Columbia. So it's, um, uh, it really is a multi-university uh, endeavor um, in significant ways, yeah. That's what I've noticed, and I've noticed not it's not only multi-university, it's also cross North America, um, having Harvard and Carleton and the University of British Columbia, what, uh, the University of Western Ontario. So it's cross disciplines. Uh, Carleton University, I've noticed. I also noticed on on the website that it's about it's focusing a lot on Black, Indigenous, people of color as well, and disability. Why did you guys choose to focus on that? I can start. Um, so part of our conversation earlier in the planning process, um, actually, I'll take one step further back. So, uh, one of the, the key, I think, driving forces of this symposium is giving space to underrepresented voices. And we were speaking earlier about subjective experiences. I think giving space for scholars, artists, artist scholars to voice their subjective experiences, their research from their perspective um, in a space that is accessible and welcoming um, and listening. And so, because that's one of the key tenets of this symposium, we were also thinking about um, traditionally marginalized voices and wanting to really emphasize that um, we as a committee are always, I think, you know, we're working to be mindful of our own obfuscations, to be mindful of our own assumptions, our own patterns in academia and in our arts practice. And so as part of that um, continued reminder to be aware of ourselves, we wanted to create a, um, an invitation that was open to everyone, but especially um, BIPOC individuals with disabilities, so that it was clear to those who are applying that we are making this a, a a warm invitation where we will strive as a committee to um, to offer space to those who traditionally have perhaps not been offered space to speak about their their work and their experiences. That's interesting to hear about it because of course I'm obviously a white woman with a learning disability and a lot of times those who are BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people of color, person of color, their voices don't get heard as much as the white person uh, with disabilities. So it's, it's nice to see that there's that focus for BIPOC disabled individuals and from Canada. From Canada is also important. Over the summer, I 
did online webinars or I watched online webinars from the United States that focused on American BIPOC disabled people called Crip Camp based on the Netflix movie. But I didn't see a lot of Canadian BIPOC disabled. So this is a, it turns itself on its head. With that note, let's go to our second ad for to promote co-op radio. Did you know that Vancouver Co-op Radio CFRO 100.5 FM has over 90 different shows produced by over 350 community members? This wide range of programming produced by our diverse group of programmers ensures that we have a show you'll love. We have shows on feminism, spirituality, disability rights, politics, unions, and parenting. We play jazz, indie rock, reggae, blues, and folk. We broadcast in a dozen different languages and have more First Nations programs than any other radio station in Vancouver. Find your show on Vancouver Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. All different, all the time. You're listening to Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM, and The Self-Advocate. I'm your host, Alison Klein. You can find me on Facebook. You can also email me at alison.mira.klein at gmail.com. On this episode of The Self-Advocate, I am talking with Natalia Essling and Stefan Horich, both postdoctoral candidates at the University of British Columbia in the film and theater department because they have started an online conference November 21st and 22nd, 2020. So we talked about how you guys started this conference and why BIPOC people of disability is so important to be highlighted. How has COVID affected your guys' work in researching music and the arts with disability? Uh, how about we start with you, Stefan? Sure. Um, so I think that in terms of my own research and work, um, because the uh, many of the sources, the primary sources that I'm working with for my research are available uh, in digitized uh, and accessible formats through the Perkins School for the Blind and also um, the American Foundation for the Blind um, on their website. Uh, the, the American Foundation for the Blind in particular has an extensive uh, digitized uh, collection of documents and, and so forth um, and other materials related to Helen Keller's work. Um, so in that sense, uh, the, the current restrictions and the current circumstances uh, don't, um, necessi don't necessitate dramatic changes uh, in terms of how I uh, research. Um, and uh, 
I think that where I do perceive a, a fairly significant uh, change, however, is just realizing that uh, so many of us in higher education perceive this moment as one of potential uh, transformation uh, in how we do research, in how we teach, uh, in how we um, uh, interact with students um, in the in the learning environment. So, uh, in that sense, I think that uh, COVID um, and the public health measures in place do have. Um, uh, rich possibilities uh, and they also perhaps uh, uh, and here I'm thinking of what Natalia said earlier uh, in relation to um, voices and perspectives and experiences uh, and communities that have often been underrepresented or not represented in higher education. Um, I think that this moment presents us with an opportunity to maybe bring research and teaching together in more holistic ways. Um, and as, as an extension of that, then to think about um, the forms of exclusion that have operated in the academy far too often and how can we transform those even as we transform our certain aspects, let's say of our research and teaching in response to this moment. That is so true. I've learned through my education that because I am going getting my master's degree uh, through an online university, Athabasca University, is that I'm learning how to put my the theories that I'm learning in my master's into everyday life. But since I was on the online platform before COVID, it didn't, my education didn't really change as much, which was lovely. And I wasn't as affected uh, mentally, emotionally, physically of where I was studying. How about you, Natalia? How did COVID change your practice? Yeah, on a personal level, in terms of the work that I had set up to do at UBC, um, I've had to step back and rethink the original plan. <laughs> um, like I was saying before, originally my collaborator collaborators and I had envisioned a small intimate performance. Um, and I should clarify that the performance work that I do is not traditional. It's not happening with a proscenium in a theater. It's typically happening in um, small spaces, in site-specific spaces or, or site-sensitive um, spaces. So it's unusual to begin with. Um, but the idea was to have in close proximity uh, an actor or a performer and an audience member. So purely practically, I've had to uh, reorient towards this project, which I think, and I appreciate Stefan, your reminder that this moment, given its challenges also has a lot of fruitful opportunities. So it's actually guided me to think more about audio immersive experiences. And in turn, when thinking about audio immersive experiences, how I might also accompany that with some kind of visual experience 
online. Um, so thinking through access online has been um, a new endeavor for me, but one that has been really fulfilling and has had a lot of intersections with the preparation for the conference because we've had to do a lot of thinking about um, accessibility online uh, when we have some live, some pre-recorded um, presentations uh, and a diversity of participants. So thinking through all of those measures and really trying to step outside of myself and step outside of uh, a plan that I think I had originally had, maybe felt I had control over and kind of let the moment guide me to uh, and educate me about uh, how audiences and a diverse range of audiences can participate in something um, online. That's, I think, one of the major uh, transitions that I've had to that I've had the opportunity to learn from uh, during COVID. And also, oh, um, um, if I, I could just build on what you were saying, Natalia, um, uh, in perhaps a slightly a different direction, but but I think connected in in a, in I think uh, clear ways. Um, it also strikes me that uh, traditionally music and some areas of the performing arts have perhaps traditionally uh, been wrapped in a set of assumptions that they require specialized knowledge, specialized vocabulary, uh, and very discipline-specific knowledge in order to participate knowledgeably or or in meaningful ways. And um, I think that one of the uh, aspects of our symposium that I that is perhaps especially welcome and especially exciting is that our two keynote speakers, Joy Elan from uh, the US and Tui Nguyen from Carleton, um, is that their keynote presentations highlight ways of thinking uh, about representation, access, mediation, uh, and disability uh, beyond fairly narrow definitions of music, for example, which is one of the the uh, primary themes of the symposium, but but it's not we're not defining music uh, or the performing arts uh, or the arts. Uh, I think in traditionally perhaps narrow ways, we're really opening things out, and I think that our two keynote speakers are uh, really doing um, path breaking work in showing how that can be done. That's interesting to hear about it because that's what I also noticed and that's what I was going to ask about next. You took my the words out of my mouth, both of you. Besides the, the two keynote speakers, who else is talking at the symposium? Wow, we have a, a wide range of, of presenters. Um, I don't know that uh, we'll be able to name each one of them off and describe their work <laughs> in the in the context of this radio show, but uh, all of the information about our presenters uh, will be available online, I believe, Stefan, correct right. me if I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, um, but just generally speaking, uh, we have a range of presenters from graduate students, um, people who identify as having disabilities, people who identify as having neurodivergences, um, people who are non-disabled, um, uh, 
people talking about their own research, their own practices, people evaluating plays, other uh, music groups. Um, what else do we have, Stefan? Um, also, uh, uh, I think um, uh, a wonderful participation from around the world, really. Um, so, so a really um, international roster of presenters. Uh, um, and also, please correct me if I'm wrong here, Natalia, but uh, uh, it strikes me also that that's, that's uh, part of it, that um, both in terms of topics and approaches, but also uh, in terms of uh, location, uh, um, our symposium really offers uh, wonderful variety. What are you, is the most exciting part of this for you guys? Like, what are you look, most looking forward to during this, for this symposium? How about we start with you, Stefan? Uh, what am I most looking forward to? Um, I think uh, this goes, uh, in some ways this ties in with many of the things that we've, that, uh, We've been talking about uh, this afternoon. Um, so uh, I, I really look forward to thinking about music and the performing arts and about what it means to do research um, in new and generative ways. Um, uh, because this symposium is interdisciplinary um, and also brings together speakers from, from around the world. Um, I really look forward to uh, thinking with people, uh, with our, our colleagues, uh, with, uh, with our, our colleagues from, from around the world um, and um, having opportunities to uh, examine our practices, our theories um, and uh, the kinds of questions that we ask uh, in relation to all of these these new perspectives, and also doing so in such a way that uh, questions of access and representation are are integrated seamlessly uh, and very much uh, integral uh, to that process of critical engagement, um, where uh, and perhaps what might have been the case perhaps more so pre-pandemic is that very often uh, the work of research, teaching and learning uh, was somehow separate in some ways from uh, questions of access and inclusion and representation. And what I look forward to in our symposium is for those strands to be woven together in new and productive ways. How about you, Natalia? I think I tend to share the excitement about how access and knowledge generation and communication of research can be integrated in an, in an online forum. Um, I'm, I'm in awe of and really respect my collaborators in terms of the work that they've put into this and the, you know, the conversations we've been having um, because they're they're really enlightening. I learn something every time. <laughs> um, and those discussions have, <laughs> have already been really productive and expand expansive. Um, so I'm, 
I'm encouraged by that. And I'm also excited to, to continue that learning and to listen to all of these wonderful people's research and, and hear, I think, especially perspectives, um, again, going back to this idea of subjective experiences, um, felt lived experiences being at the heart of really rigorous research. Uh, I think that I'm excited to, to hear how, how different people's positionality and perceptual and physical experience of the world ties into the work that they do. Um, and I think maybe that connects a bit to Stefan, what you were saying uh, is, you know, about how we don't compartmentalize these things right. anymore, or perhaps we should think about uh, integrating them a little bit more explicitly because as researchers, you know, we all have our lived embodied experiences of the world and that undoubtedly affects how uh, we do research and why we do research and the ways that uh, we're engaging with our communities and our environment. So I'm particularly excited to hear how people are, uh, yeah, navigating research um, in, in a variety of ways. And on that note, let's take our third ad for Co-op Radio and why you should, as the listener, should listen to Co-op Radio. Vancouver Co-op Radio 100.5 FM is political. Co-op Radio is poetry. Co-op Radio is tango. Co-op Radio is gay. Ecology. Comedy. Feminism. Philosophy. Yoga. Reggae. Bicycles. Trade unions. Gospel. Live. Local. Asian. African. Vancouver Co-op Radio is community. Your community. Vancouver Co-op Radio. CFRO. 100.5 FM. All different. All the time. You're listening to CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM and The Self-Advocate. I'm your host, Allison Klein. If you missed any part of this show or want to listen to this show again, you can find this show on my podcast at anchor.fm forward slash Allison Klein. So before we get find out how we can find out about the symposium, what would you guys want people with disabilities to know about music and about academia? I'll start with you, Stefan. Thank you for that question. Uh, I think uh, what I would say to other people with disabilities, um, as a disabled person myself, uh, as a disabled musician and researcher and educator, um, that I think that the project of uh, the the recognition of the importance of making academia, uh, of making academic research uh, and teaching um, and more specifically uh, in relation to, to my own work, um, I suppose, uh, music uh, as w- one of the art forms, um, more inclusive and accessible 
that work is underway. Um, and I would say that uh, to other people with disabilities, we need you and we welcome you. Um, and uh, so I would just, uh, for disabled people uh, out there, for example, who, who aspire to be musicians or who, who aspire to be uh, researchers uh, and educators, um, I think that uh, you have uh, so much to offer uh, academia um, and uh, uh, what it means uh, to do research uh, and to educate uh, and to participate in, in teaching and learning in collaborative ways. All of these are areas in which you can make profound contributions. So um, I think that would be my, my message. Uh, uh, what, what I hope is a message of welcoming and of inclusion and of um, hope. Beautifully said. How about for you, Natalia? Gosh, I don't know what I can add that would be <laughs> as profound or, or welcoming as, as such. Um, so from my perspective, I identify as non-disabled um, and I work with collaborators who identify as um, having disabilities. Uh, the, the two people I'm working with are survivors, as I said, of traumatic brain injury. And I think in that, uh, thinking through my work in academia and then speaking with my collaborators outside of academia and trying to understand um, my own limitations and my own assumptions has been an incredible learning experience. And what I think I've, I've come to understand is that the protocols that we have in place in academia are certainly the ethical ones are there for a reason, but a lot of the methodological ones I think need to be reimagined. Um, and especially when uh, extending research into communities and inviting people to be advocates in research projects and to have autonomy and feel empowered within those research projects, I really think that um, their voices are especially integral, their perspectives and their ways of working are especially integral. And so I think to answer your question, you know, the, the place, the need, the desire for having um, uh, uh, disabled voices and perspectives and artists and scholars in academia is, is such an imperative because it will inevitably teach us as a community how to adapt perhaps stale methodologies to alternate ways of of working and to new and really exciting ways of being with each other and conducting research together and articulating that research um, and I think academia Stefan as you said has a, a lot of learning to do and a lot of changing to do um, and and that there's room for that and there's a need for that. And there's a need for disabled scholars and artist scholars to, to challenge perhaps methodologies that are, are, um, are not working in the ways that uh, they could productively work in certain contexts. Um, so 
certainly, you know, another aspect um, from my perspective is, is really learning when to, when to shift, <laughs> when to um, step back, when to um, recognize how my own education has perhaps trained me in a particular way that needs to be reimagined. <laughs> um, I think that only happens when you're in conversation with a diversity of people and it only happens when you are trying to communicate different perceptual and embodied experiences always through academic work and any other kind of work. So um, yeah, as Stefan said, I think, I think the academic world needs more diversity of perspective, needs to be challenged, needs to understand how to listen and shift and reimagine things um, so that we can, we can really have a diversity of, um, of perspectives, but also a diversity of methodologies and, and protocols and collaborations. And on that note, how do we find both of you guys and how do we find how does the listener find out about the music meditation and disability conference this year? Stefan? Sure. So uh, both um, the uh, information for the uh, symposium can be found uh, on the symposium website. There's a dedicated uh, website. Um, and um, I don't have the uh, URL um, right with me, but um, I think that uh, searching for music mediation and disability should should bring it up. Um, and uh, it's got several sections uh, on it, um, including um, uh, about our keynote speakers. Um, and uh, all of that is, is on the symposium website. Um, Are you guys also on social media? Or is the symposium on social media? I'm <laughs> I'm silent because I don't know that we actually have a dedicated page or a dedicated handle. Um, the website, I think, is our our primary go to. But right. uh, we have been posting through social media channels. This has been the self advocate on CFRO Co op Radio one hundred point five FM on the unceded territories of the Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Musqueam peoples. I've been your host, Alison Klein. You can follow me on Facebook at Alison Mira Klein. You can also catch this episode again on my podcast at anchor.fm forward slash Alison Klein. To end this show, let's play our outro theme song, Better Miracle by Kiprios. Kiprios is a local rapper from Vancouver. Even though he doesn't have a disability, his song talks about having a better tomorrow, not a miracle. Enjoy more programming, everyone. Today, my window, the sun, came through, 
today was the day I thought I'd look to my window felt the pain that I knew the son heard about it when he came to came through good looking out I needed you today was the day that didn't need rain my window looked to me to make a change the sun rising to the occasion came through good looking out I needed you oh 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 Within myself, I'm gonna be okay. Remember, back then I've come a long way. The dream may never ever be the same, but came true. Get here with you, and that'll do. I know the road I'm on is not an easy way. Remember that I will define the path I take. The dream, yeah, I'm a dreamer. What can I say? Came true. Get here with you, and that'll do. I feel it's in my fingers. I know it's in my soul now. Don't need, I don't need a miracle. Just want to get a bit better. I feel it's in my fingers, I know it's in my soul now Don't need, I don't need a miracle, just want to get a little better oh, oh. I'm not asking for a miracle, oh, oh. just want to get a little bit better Mattering in life. I feel it's in my fingers. I know it's in my soul now. Don't need, I don't need a miracle. Just one. 